Let's bow. Our gracious Father in heaven, we are thankful for another day that thou has given us where we have life and breath and an opportunity, Lord, to gather about thy word. We pray, Father, for its efficacy, knowing that there is nothing else that can bring about a change in the life of man. And so we pray, Father, that thy word would have its free course this morning, though through weak vessels, it is thy word, and with thy spirit, Father, thou can enliven those that hear it and who gladly receive it and wish to embrace thee and embrace thy truth. So we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Pardon me, I'm just looking for a particular scripture. With the Lord's help, I'd like to read from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4. Beginning with verse 35, chapter 4, verse 35. And the same day, when the even was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? 
And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? I have read through verse 41. I'd like to read the, um, there are a couple parallel There are two parallel um, chapters or sections in the gospel that um, parallel this verse, these verses that we read, this account. And one of them is, um, is found in uh, Luke, Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. And I'd like to just read that as well. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples and he said unto them, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep and there came down a storm of wind on the lake and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. The account that we've read here speaks of an event that in many ways um, all of us can relate as far as this feeling, this emotional response to the situation in front of us. And one of the things that we believe when we come together to hear the word of God and the reason why we come together as a church or the reason why we practice the coming together to hear the word of God is because we believe that there is wisdom in these words that go beyond any rational thinking that we may get from the world. In other words, we believe that if we truly want to understand our emotions, if we truly want to understand our, our environment, our world, how we interact with our environment, how we respond to um, stimulus from our environment, how we can make sense of the things around us in this world and the, the plight of man in general, we believe that the answers to all those questions can be found in the Word of God. We believe explicitly that all questions regarding life can 
have an answer in the Word of God. Now, not necessarily that we will have an answer um, that specifically speaks to a topic that's uh, relevant to today, but it will speak, it will give us the context or it will give us the, the principles by which we can judge the situation that we're in. It makes this word, unlike anything else, it makes this word eternal. It, that's why the Bible says that knowledge will, will pass, um, all these other um, gifts will pass, but the word of God will, will, will last forever because it is a living word. And it, if we just look at our own lives and we see over the time span of our lives, we see how the Word of God is still relevant today, and so much so, it, it reinforces, it underscores this concept that the Word of God is alive, that it's, it's a living Word, it's not static. It wasn't written with, uh, it, by the wisdom of man under the understanding of man. It's just as if you read the old Greek philosophers and, and you see their understanding of nature and physics and science, and you can, you can see how they were, in their own wisdom, they were almost able to see something that we now can clearly picture through our scientific means, our diagnostic tools, our, our, our equipment that allows us to look into, in, in the subatomic um, scale, the, the, the character of, of matter and the nature of matter. But you can see that in their limited wisdom, they were trying to picture and create an understanding of the laws of nature that were before them. That becomes static. That knowledge and that wisdom is static. It is a reflection and a representation of the wisdom of man, which is limited. It's so limited. But the wisdom of God is not limited. It is endless. And we believe, and that's precisely why we come together, that this word of God is so real, is so true, and so relevant, that if I apply myself to its truth, I will not only learn about myself, but I will learn something about who wrote it, who inspired it, who gave it's command to be penned for, for the generations to come. I will, be, I will come to know him who inspired these words. I will come to, to an understanding of the creator himself. And in doing so, I will, I will go through a journey of discovery of myself, of who I am, who I really am. And, and that journey will help me make sense of my whole baggage, my whole history, everything that, that contributed to the makeup of who I am, these things will come together as I go in this journey of discovery of who God is and who was it that penned these words. And I believe we all experience this, all of us who spend time in the Word of God and are sincere sincerely honest with ourselves and look, look 
for the word, not just to gain head knowledge, but actually look into the word to see ourselves. We approach the word as a mirror, as a means to see what we cannot see, the, the, to, to, to have the word illuminate those corners of our lives which are blind spots that we cannot see ourselves. And that is the other miracle. It is the other, the other tremendous reality of this word that it illuminates a light that goes beyond human wisdom that allows us to see ourselves the way we really are. And that is sobering. It's, it, it is a gift of God to see yourself the way you really are. For me to see myself the way I really am is a gift of God because it's a gift given for me to respond to the revelation, to do something about it. This account that we've read here speaks about a situation that was dire. It speaks to an account where a group of fishermen, very experienced with the lake, the sea that they were in, and with the consequences and the hazards that, that go with their occupation and profession as fishermen. They're familiar with being out in the sea and having a storm, a wind come from the other side and create havoc. They are, they are they're very knowledgeable in the effects of waves that are higher than the ship, that begin to bring water into the ship. And the, the Bible tells us here that, that the, water, the ship took water. It began to fill with water. And the reaction that they had, all of them, was that they were in jeopardy. In other words, their lives were at risk. They, this was a real-life situation where they, where they believed in their mind based on the stimulus of visual, the visual effect of what was around them. They came to the conclusion, based on prior knowledge of previous experiences, of what the likely outcome facing them would be. And that likely outcome to them, to their mind, was that they were going to perish. Now, this is not unlike anything that we experience. We, we go through it precisely these same reactions. We have an event, an event happens to us, and we look at the event, and we draw a, a belief about what the, the, the likely consequence of this event is going to be in my life. I use my prior knowledge about my understanding of other similar events and I draw a tentative conclusion about what is going to happen to me. We draw this picture in our mind that the event that has happened to us, that has befallen us, is going to cause harm, is going to be detrimental to me. And I'm, I'm speaking here, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that I'm talking in generality here of other events, other events that could be similar to an event that would, would, in, would provoke or 
elicit this response in us, that we are in danger, that my life is at risk, or I'm in, I'm in imminent danger of experiencing pain. And this is a natural reaction. It is a common experience. It is the experience of human beings. It is our human experience. We, as human beings, draw our assessment of our lives based on our prior knowledge of previous experiences that were similar to what we are experiencing. Now notice how that is, it's a little bit hypocritical. It speaks to a fundamental problem that we have as human beings, and that is the problem of faith. I'm going to use some terminology here that hopefully I'm going to make it as simple as I can. In, in the field of probability, in the field of probability, there is a theorem that's called Bayes' theorem. It's, it was invented by a reverend who um, was sort of a backyard statistician, if you will. And he came up with this theorem. And I'm not going to tell you what this theorem is in general because it's not that important. But one thing that the theorem teaches us is that when an event happens, when an event happens in our life, there's something that happens in our brain. And the, the interesting thing is that they've studied this even with children, even shortly after being uh, born. They see that this is actually pretty innate. It happens naturally. When an event happens in our life, we seem to ignore a lot of other information around us, and we focus on the event. And our universe, and I'm going to use the word loosely, the universe which used to be all the other prior knowledge about life, all other possibilities about life, all other related, potentially slightly related events seem to disappear and we focus only on the event at hand. We, in, in probabilistic terms, it talks about, they use the term reduced universe. We reduce our universe to just the event at hand. And, and that is a human reaction. It's actually verifiable and you and I can attest that that in fact happens. That when something happens to us, we seem to forget other events that may give us a different perspective on an outcome. But instead, we reduce our, our prior universe to a small universe, which is called our event. And this is exactly what happened here with the fishermen. When they were in the lake, they experienced this event. And they came to the conclusion they ask themselves this question in their mind, you and I do this. We ask ourselves this question, that if this event has happened, what is the probability that I'm going to perish? That's the mathematical terminology, but that's exactly what they said. They came to the conclusion that we perish, which means that they assigned a large likelihood to the occurrence of perishing. Event A occurred, what is the probability of B? B being, I'm going to perish. 
And that's where Bayes' theorem comes in. And they reduce their universe to event A, and then they ask themselves the question, what is the likelihood that I'm going to perish? And they made that calculation in their mind based on prior knowledge, and they came to the conclusion that the probability is very high. And that prompted them to go to their master and to, to awake him. When they come to Jesus Christ and ask that question and say to him, um, Master, Master, we concluded based on our rational thinking that we're going to perish. We've reduced our, our, our universe of prior knowledge, including all other miracles you've, you've performed in our lives already, all other events that, are, that have similar characteristic to this event that had a positive outcome. We've ignored that. We've ignored that. In fact, we've ignored all other similar events that have similar characteristics to this but had a positive outcome. We've ignored that event and we said we've now only considered all other events that have similar characteristic to this one and had a negative outcome. And that's how I'm going to conclude the likelihood of perishing. And they said to him, Master, Master, we perish. We perish. And if we look in Luke 8, it says, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. Notice that he didn't say, you are delusional. Notice that he didn't say, or that he didn't do anything. He actually acted on the event. The event was real. It was a real event. And this, this is what makes the scripture so real to us. God isn't, Christianity isn't about, you know, sort of covering your eyes, and, and by covering your eyes, well, if I don't see it, then it must not be there. It's saying, it's there. It's real. You are in a boat. The boat is actually sinking. The boat is actually filling with water. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to look at this? That's what Christianity is saying. It's saying that you're going to experience the real experiences of life, of every other human being. That event is real. Jesus Christ didn't ignore the event. He acted on the reality of the event. He had to address the urgency of the event. The event was real. My event is real. Your event is real. But it's your conclusion about the outcome of the event that's a question here and how you arrive at that conclusion. And that's what the scripture is trying to bring to our understanding, to question the way we think. And the way we think has to do about whether we believe. We believe what we've learned. And whether we bring that belief to the table when the event is real. That's the question. So Jesus arose and he rebuked the wind. There was no doubt the boat was filling with water. And sure, with time, that boat will sink. That still does not conclude the likelihood of perishing. That's interesting. And he calmed, rebuked the wind and the raging of the water 
And the, the outcome was that both the raging of the water and the, and, and the boisterous wind ceased. Those elements that gave rise to the event ended. Jesus took command and dealt with the factors that contributed to the event. And it ceased. And there was a calm. But that's not what we want to learn from here. Jesus then looks at his disciples and he asks them the question, where is your faith? What happened to it? Where did it go? What did you do with it? In the other scripture that we read, you know, why are ye so fearful? And someone may say, somebody who's actually new to the scripture, and I, and, and I, and I say this in all due respect, that someone who's new to the scripture would say, are you kidding? What kind of question is that? Why are you fearful? You, it's obvious why I'm fearful. The boat is sinking. It's obvious why I'm fearful. But the question is coupled with the other question, that fear is connected to the state of your faith. It's connected to the to the where is your faith question. Fear and faith go hand in hand. And so Jesus is not saying you should have just ignored the circumstances. He's not saying that. He's asking us, what do we do with the circumstances? What is our response to the circumstances? And this is this is the question that we have to ask ourselves. Jesus is asking, what happened to our faith? Where did it go? If it was not there at that event, if it's not there when you are experiencing an event, if it's not there when I'm experiencing an event, if it's not at the table when, the going is going, when it's going tough, if it's not there, where is it? That's the question. And that's the question Jesus is trying to get to. He's trying to get to the reality of being a Christian, of what does it really mean to be a Christian. It's, he's asking us the question, what did you do to your faith? Where did it go? What happened to it? How come it's not there? How come it wasn't in this event? How come it was not in this incident? How come? Well, the answer is we know why they were fearful. We know why they were fearful, because their faith was not there. They chose to look at the event, and they reduced their knowledge of everything else they knew, they reduced it down to, the, to this bad event, and they, they consciously, and it is a conscious effort, they consciously rejected, as I said earlier, they rejected all other events that had positive outcomes, and by that I mean... All other events where you actually brought faith to the table or where you saw God's deliverance or where, you, where there was another situation where Jesus had to get up and he had to calm the sea and the raging wind in your life and in my life. And then we say, okay, take note, Alan. Take note. You know, what do I learn from here? You know, to, to use a, you know, what's the takeaway? I, I'm, I'm sort of tired of hearing that expression. It's become so common at work. You know, but what's, but it's, 
you know, what do we learn from this experience? And, and it's interesting that in this experience, they ignored, they reduced their universe to the worst possible situation and ignored all other events. And if you want to think about this from a, from a and this is what makes Thomas Bayes, the reverend who came up with this probabilistic theory, so great, and, it's, and I marvel because it's used in the secular world. And the way it's used in the secular world is that, that the probability of event B happening when event, event A has occurred is contingent upon my prior beliefs. They use those very words, my prior belief. And it's, it was penned that way because it was written by a man that worshipped God. He could see that the way we react to life has to do so much with our prior belief. Our prior belief. So if an event happens in your life, in my life, in your mind, you reduce your universe to a circle which you label your event. And then you look for where that circle overlaps other events that have similar characteristics to what is happening. And where the overlap is, that small little area of intersection or that large area of intersection is your conclusion about the likelihood that your event is gonna lead to a terrible outcome. That's exactly what we do in our brains. And Jesus said that. Don't do that, he says. Don't reduce your universe to just your event. Look beyond your event. Do you notice, and from experience, I believe all Christians that have walked long enough with the Lord, that if you walk away from your event, just temporarily, from the way you are looking at your event, and you look at all, and you bring all other events into the picture, all of a sudden your event looks very different. Now, isn't that interesting? And that's what our prior belief is supposed to do. When Jesus asked the question, where is your faith? When he asked him in Mark 4, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? He was asking them a pointed question that all of us from various degrees can relate to. Perhaps recently you didn't experience a sinking ship. And, and that's not the point of this account so much. The point of this account is that you experienced an event in your life very recently where your faith was absent where your prior beliefs were discarded. Why? And that's the question Jesus wants us to answer. That's a question that the only answer, the only way to answer that question is to, to be honest with ourselves. And honesty being able to see ourselves the way we really are requires humility. It requires humility. The gospel message 
is about this very topic. It's about man willing to see themselves the way they really are. Man is plagued with sin. Man is in need of salvation, is in need of healing, is in need of forgiveness, is in need of being reconciled to his maker, is in need of having his, the maker's spirit being placed within him in order for him to live out a life that is pleasing to his maker and that could be fulfilling. These are all the needs of man. God created man with these needs as a consequence. When man sinned, and God knew from the foundation of the world, we can read in Ephesians and in other places, from the foundation of the world, whether that precisely means the beginning of the universe or whether it means the beginning of, of time or when it begins, but from the very beginning, God already had this plan. And so the question is, how do we take this message? How do we, how do we internalize this message? And how are we willing to take a chance to see ourselves and to approach the word of God in humility and to perchance come to a, to, to a discovery about who we really are. The invitation to repent is an invitation to come to the light and maybe see something about yourself that you didn't see before. It's, it's the invitation, it's the suggestion by God to, to take a chance on him and look and look at the word of God and allow that light to penetrate in and to see ourselves the way we really are. God says, you have everything to gain in doing that and nothing to lose. But your mind, your, our, our human thinking narrows it down and gives us a picture that coming to the light may, be, may have a negative impact on me. And that's a lie. That's the lie of Satan. That's the lie of the world. It's a lie that keeps us from coming to the light. It's a lie that prevents us from actually coming to full realization about who we really are. Imagine, God is saying in these words that if you don't come to the light, you're going to live out your whole life in, in, in living out a life where you don't really know who you are. That's what God is saying. That's what the word of God is saying. And if that, if that is the case, should we not want to see ourselves? Would it not be worth it to take a chance and look into the word of God and see who we really are? Look at this mirror and see who we really are? Or is there fear? Is there concern about what we're going to see? If there is, that's okay. Because God already knows what you're going to see. And he's already, he's already provided a way for you to deal with that revelation of who you really are. And that revelation, the Bible makes it clear that the ultimate place that you're going to find yourself 
when we come to the light, is to the conclusion that we are sinners. And it's not that Christianity is trying to say the world, they're no good, they're just a bunch of sinners, and we are so much better. No, true Christianity is promoting this message that come to the light and see yourself. And there is a bomb, there is, there is healing in that light to deal with who you see and who you are. When we come, as we have already today, to, to gather and to hear the word of God, we need to take our, the message that the Spirit teaches us and apply it personally. That is what God expects of us when we come and expose ourselves to his word, not just on Sundays, but every time we look in the word. This strengthens our prior beliefs. It helps us to bring faith to the events of life. It helps us to address fear. That's, that's the message from today. May the Lord bless his word. Amen. Wow, the Lord really knows exactly what we need to hear, what I need to hear this morning. We heard, I heard about the human heart and how I tend to reduce things to the worst possible case. I'll get all uptight and fearful about that. We heard about how the Lord invites us to repent and to, to know ourselves. And I can see that I'm not bringing my faith to the problems that I see. The event is real. The problems are real. The storms are real that are facing my church and my family and the lost friends that I'm deeply concerned about and, and, and uh, the state of, of apathy in this church that I'm deeply concerned about. These things are real, but, but I, I need to repent because I am not looking with eyes of faith that God who took me when I was distracted and, 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 and thinking that joy and, and life is out there beyond the word of God, beyond the walls of this church with my friends or what the world was telling me, and he opened my eyes that he can do the same for you, my friend, that the philosophy and distractions and, and, and baubles, you too, the Lord can work and open your eyes. That for, for each of us, we need, we can be changed by, by what God can do. And I, I need to, to stop being terrorized. Stop shaming my Lord by the lack of faith, by reacting and, and, and accusing the Lord of not caring when he's right there in the boat with me when he's right there 
able to calm the storm, able to transform, able to renew even my heart. What a powerful message. What I really needed to hear, I'm so thankful for the word of God. Let us each take to heart and see that this is not just a, 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 a probability theorem that is taught in school and applied to, but let us look at the prior beliefs of our own hearts and allow that to, to widen not to the negative, which is so easy to focus on, so easy to become alarmist. I mean, after all, that's how news media certainly gets a lot of attraction. Nuclear war tomorrow. Um, the world is falling apart. You know, it's, it's all the headlines. But where is the prior beliefs in the goodness of God? In the presence of God? In the power of God? This is what we need in these days to rest in his goodness and to really believe in that and allow that to change our attitudes towards God first of all. To not be afraid of self-revelation as, as the brother preached. He already knows the embarrassing things that we are trying to hide. To, to admit and find healing. And also our relationship with each other as we now are free to believe the best and not the worst about each other, as we're free to, to believe in God's redemptive power, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of each other, and we can work to just allow the Lord to flow through us to that end. The storm is real, but our God is greater. His goodness stronger, his power more able. And on that faith, we can go forward not in fear, not in the bondage of fear, as Romans 12 says, but in the, in the assurance of Abba Father that the Spirit tells within us. And we need to, to retain, even when the wind and waves hit, that belief in God's goodness. Each one of us is facing those trials. But God is present with each one of us. Maybe he's still outside the door knocking and you need to let him in. But he is there and he has, uh, wants our good and is able to do our good and is able to save. May that positive assurance go with each of us as we leave this place changed by that living word. He is Lord when he commandeth, storms abate, high seas grow still. Not his high power withstanded, all things need must do his will. He gives rest when woes afflict us, and doth evermore protect us, that we sink not in dismay, for his covenant stands for aye. That we do conclude.